everybody, St. Paul here, and welcome to Music on the Run. This episode features one of the originators of the Minneapolis sound. Andre Simone is next on Music on the Run. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and you like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donny Osmond, and Amy Few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 21. I can't believe it, a music on the run. Uh, another interview from my basement. I grew up down here. This is the Peterson family rehearsal hall, if you will. Fun to be broadcasting from uh, such an important place to me. You know, I've been looking forward to this interview for a little while now. We had it scheduled earlier and something happened and we have rescheduled for this moment. And Actually, I'm a little nervous because this guy is uh, an icon, a Minneapolis icon. He is a bass icon. He is a great musician, a writer, a producer, an artist, an activist whose long career started in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's one of the originators of the Minneapolis sound. Please welcome my brother in bass guitar, Andre Simone. Andre, man, thank you so much. Hey much for coming on the show thank you for having me paul we have a long history you and me yes we do yes we do yeah beautiful history yeah you know and it's funny because uh it didn't start in the 80s because you were gone by the time i got in Mm -hmm. so that's 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 really cool. We, I mean, we'll talk about this, but you and I started in the, uh, our relationship in the 90s in a band that we were actually in, and we're finally going to see that record come out, which is Exactly, cool. finally. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So wh- where are we finding you right now? Where are you, man? I mean, during COVID, where you been? You know, uh, I'm in California. I'm in Los Angeles. Um, uh, my family really won't let me move around much. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of... Um, hermetically sealed in uh in uh, in our, our little compound here but um but i've been getting out lately so you know uh, we, we went for a nice long drive with the malibu which is which was beautiful um but otherwise they, they're like no you can't you know this is pandemic we don't want anything happening to you so they're mm. very very protective which is beautiful but it's driving me mad so yeah. <laughs> i got i can't lie it's driving me crazy well you and i saw each other in what was that january Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we went on that coffee, right? Literally, like, I think that's about three or four blocks from where I live. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A lot has happened since then, man. Yeah, I haven't been... You know what? That was the last time I was at that coffee shop. That was the is that last right? time. Yeah, that's, which is sad because I used to go there pretty much, you know, two, two, two three times. Well, at least two, three times a week. So, yeah. 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 You family safe, Catherine, the kids, everybody? Yeah, everybody's good. I, actually, everybody's real good. So, yeah, I can't... I can't complain. I'm loving oh, life. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. Well, I'm glad that you had found time to to come on and do this because there's so many people who are looking forward to this, including 
me, and I'm, I'm not kidding, man. I was like, God, I get to interview uh, one of the originators. So let me, first of all, you grew up here, mm-hmm. right? And we, we got something in common. We're both the youngest. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So what's it like being the youngest Anderson kid? You know, you and you probably can attest to this because a lot of people, I, I don't think, understand the dynamic of the youngest. Because, you know, for everything that's not so great, there's a lot of things that are really super cool. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you get all the ribbing and all the, you know, um, you know, big brothers and all the, you know, the thumping upside the head and all that kind of stuff and all the sort of lessons and all of that. But you also get the benefit of independence. Because I think, you know, for me and, and the, the, you know, the amount of time between my older siblings and the younger siblings, um, I don't want to say they let me play on the freeway or they let me, you know, bathe in the creek or anything like that, even though they did. But, um, but they, I just, you know, they were like, you know, oh, you know, with my older siblings, they're like, oh, it's a, we got babies. And they, you know, they followed them around and they took pictures of them and everything. By the time they got to me, which is number six, they're like, ah, uh, uh, they don't need to take pictures. Oh, we already dude, did that. I can totally yeah. relate to that. Yeah. The pictures stop. Yeah. The videos stop. And it's like, eh, Video. whatever. <laughs> another one. Another yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Another one. And so there, I don't think there are any pictures of me when I was, you know, I think under three, maybe. I think there's, and there's only one or two of them when I was like under three. So there's that. And then there's, um, there's uh, uh, the, the benefit of, of learning from your older siblings, you know, seeing them do all kinds of crazy stuff and going, I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to do that. And I'm not going to do that. So you learn all of that kind of stuff. And then there's the, the, the bonus. And that's the fact that when you're the youngest, and if you're lucky enough, and I'm sure you are, because you're you know, from a musical family, my family is not as musical as yours, but I have a couple of siblings that are um, in, in music. But the, the beauty is all of my siblings were very, very, into music. So I had the benefit of a very eclectic music collection. So that I think really kind of, you know, made my um, appreciation for a lot of different kinds of music uh, um, to be, you know, as broad as it, as it is. What was playing around that household? (laughs) You know, you name it. I mean, starting from jazz, you know, obviously, my dad was a musician, so um, oh, cool! Yeah, no, he was he was a musician. He was a bass player, um, and so he was really into jazz. You know, I mean, so you got you know everything from Duke Ellington to, you know, to Charlie Parker to Mingus. You name it was was his whole thing. Lou Rawls, he was in the Lou Rawls. Mm. I played um, golf with Lou Rawls once. Oh, I'm jealous. At a little wit set, you know, at that little wit set golf course out in, in Cali, man. I got to play with Lou. Anyway, sorry. Man, you, you, I'm jealous because, you know, I did I did get to meet him once at a, he had a, 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 a telethon or something yeah. right on uh, on Sunset. He used to do these telethons. Or, mm-hmm. uh, but I was, I don't know why I was involved, but I was involved in that years and years ago. But um, yeah, but I was, I was, I mean, that's, I still to this day love, uh, there's an album called Lou Ral Solon. It's an amazing album. I mean, if you, because I, I, I love big band. That's mm-hmm. like, that's my dream. You know, one of the things that I do in my spare time is I create music. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a musician and I'm an artist, 
but I create music. I've done albums, big band albums that people have never heard. Ooh. I've done classical albums people have never heard. I just well, bust do music. that stuff yeah. out, man. What the hell are you waiting for? I know. Come you know, on. Well, you know, you know. It's just you know. There's only there's only so much time. There's only so much you can really get behind, and you know. Um, and for me, you know, I'm just I'm always creating, and I'm always trying to create different styles and different sounds, and and that's what I do. You know, it's always been what I've what I've done. So. But uh, yeah, so what else? I mean, you know, my mom was into pretty hardcore, you know, um, uh, blues. You know, she listened to everybody from Rudy Ray Moore to, uh, to Moms Mabley oh, to, wow. um, to Millie Jackson. You know, so around our house, you know, my mom was listening to some, you know, gut bucket, you know, down and down, you know, snatching the Poo-Tangs. I don't know if you're familiar with them, <laughs> but I'm just... I mean, my mom no, was in No, but I will be when we're done with his interview. You should. You should. I mean, you know, because that's... I need to write this down. Hold on. No, no, no that's, that's the kind of stuff that was bumping in, in, in the Anderson crib. Um, and then, you know, then obviously my sisters were into Motown and, right. and all of that. And then my brothers were into Funkadelic. And one of my other brothers was into, you know, um, Laura Nairo and, and, and uh, the Beatles and, you know, wow. and, uh, and the Rolling Stones. And so... Again, like I said, I was lucky because I was the beneficiary of, you know, all of that music. And I was an absolute sponge. And I think for me, I wanted to know not just how, you know, these, the music was created, but I wanted to understand everything about it. I literally couldn't understand how, I wanted to know how the music was coming out of the speakers. Oh. So I got in big trouble one day because I took our little stereo. Well, it wasn't it was a big stereo console. Yeah. I took it apart, completely took it apart. I was like, oh, I'm figuring this, man. I'm figuring this shit out. And I took it apart and I tried to figure out how it worked. Your your sister, I think. Your sister's listening My to My sisters, yeah, they 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 listen to all kinds of stuff. Motown and you know, Smokey Robinson and and uh, the Temptations. In fact, my brother listened to Temptations too, because he was in a group uh back in the day. He was in a mm. Group. So yeah, I mean it's you know it's it's um you know I have a very colorful background when it comes to you know um you know Minneapolis and and it's you know it's you know it's it, it's been a beautiful experience I think growing up where I grew up and how I grew up was a very very beautiful experience. Wow, funny how how we can look back on that now that we got a little salt and pepper going yeah. on here and we look <laughs> yeah. back and go man I, I, I remember as a kid hating some certain things but i i look back and i go man that molded me into who i am now so that was mm -hmm. a necessary journey for me to take and, and i'm sure you can agree with that we <laughs> whether it's getting in trouble or playing in, in bands that you don't know why am i here <laughs> but it gets it gets you down the road on your journey. So when do you pick up an, an instrument? When does that happen? It pick it happens right around that same time. Um, uh, I think I was I wrote my first song probably about four, three or four, something like that. I was really super young. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, you know, because um, did your dad take you to the studio and cut it then? Oh no no no. <laughs> my <laughs> my dad didn't want me to have anything. Okay. Wouldn't that be great? My dad didn't want me to have anything to do with mm. music. Um, no, it was, it was, you know, I didn't even realize because nobody told me how you, how it works or anything like that. But I just um, would hear melodies, you know, um, and I would always hear melodies and I would hear this melody and I would sing it and I would sing it to myself. And then I wrote it down. 
And I still remember the song. It was a song called Zacko McCracko. Crazy little tune. Um, but I wrote it down and I wrote the melody and I would sing it all the time. And I would tell everybody, I wrote a song, you know, and, and my mom was like, Andre, are you, are you sure you did? I was like, yeah, you want to hear it? And she's like, what? And I would sing it, you know, and so that became, mm. you know, a thing for me. And I would just write songs. I wrote another song, you know, because when I would hear all these songs on the records that, you know, um, that, you know, that, you know, I play on the stereo, I'd go, well, I want to write a song like that. I want to, I want to create something. So melodies would always be in my head. So I would just, you know, I, back when I was a kid, I must've wrote, a, I don't know, a slew of them. I don't even remember. I lost, lost count. Cause I would just come up with all of these little tunes in my head and uh, you know, that became a thing, you know? And I mean, you know, that, you know, and then my, my father was, like I said, was a bass player. Right. So he had a, an upright bass that always sat in our, um, in our, uh, uh, hallway and so when he was gone because he worked at the post office um when he would be at work i'd go and you know either when i came home from school or as soon as he'd leave i'd jump up on a stool put on a record and and would learn literally everything um (coughs) in our um in the collection i learned everything from jazz i mean i you know the beatles stuff was like to me i thought that was cool and one and james brown when i mean literally i learned every James Brown record that we had, which on was the upright, up. even yeah, on the upright, even James yeah. Brown live, all that stuff on the upright, all of huh. it. I mean, and so when it came time, you know, and so you know, yeah, and when it came time to be in a band, yeah. you know, um, because I wasn't the bass player originally. Um, what were you? Horn player. Yeah. What? Yeah, I played saxophone, trumpet, trombone, tuba. Um, you yeah. gotta be kidding. See, now these are things I don't know about you, man. I know oh, you yeah. a long time. I guess we never, yeah. I guess I never asked. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was literally our horn section. Um, but, um, and so they were surprised when, you know, when, uh, the bass player that we had wasn't cutting it. And I was like, you know, he was playing something. And I was like, don't go like that. He said, what do you mean? No, like you can, I was like, as a matter of fact, it's <laughs> like, and, and they were up. like, every, everybody was like, what? I didn't know you could, I was like, you know, I just, you know, sometimes you think people, you know, just like you, you know, you thought you, you think, you know, things, you think people know more about you than they do because, right. you know, you just, you know, yourself so well, you think that other people know you, but they don't, but you right. know, and so I was able to, you know, pick up the bass and just play everything. Cause at that, by that point, bass was i had i had kind of had it figured it figured it out who's that first band what's the name of that first band first band um well we had a few different names but it was it eventually became grand central oh it did the, yeah okay and that's where all yeah. this started that's right that's where it all started yep that's where it all began did i read in an interview that your mom was your manager is that right? No. Where did, no I read that somewhere. A, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to report Wikipedia then. <laughs> no, M- Morris's mom was our manager. Morris's mom. Okay. I must have read that. Yeah, Morris's uh, mom was our manager. My mom, you would think, was our manager because she um, got us a lot of gigs and she was, uh, you know, very instrumental in us playing some gigs that were, you know, sometimes questionable. Oh, is that but, right? Do tell. Yeah, but... Such as? Well, you know, such as, you know, backyard barbecue parties. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Those you are know, back it's, in it's, fashion, by the way. 
<laughs> That's the only gigs you in know, town right now. They they kind of are. Well, back then they were in fashion for a whole different uh, series of reasons. <laughs> but we'll but talk about that later. Yeah, but now that's a whole different thing. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, you know, she would, uh, you know, she would just tell you what you were going to do, which is, it's kind of interesting when you think about it in retrospect. You know, for everybody that becomes, you know, famous and known for all all around the world, and that you know, my mom just is going to tell you you're going to do this gig at you know, at Fanny's house, and that's just the way that one's going. <laughs> uh, Fanny's having a, a book club meeting, and you guys are going to play. So uh, make sure you're there by two. <laughs> Don't mess with um, bring all, bring all the stuff. We'll find a place for you to plug in. <laughs> perfect. That's the itinerary. <laughs> That's perfect. So she was your booking agent. Okay. Well, I'm not too far off. There you go. She was our booking agent. There you go. There we yeah, go. No. Classic. So, so who was in? Okay. Let's let's just talk briefly about the history of that of Grand Central because really that's the origination of the Minneapolis Sun. Am I wrong? No, you're right. You're very much right. Um, you know, the original, because I'm not going to go back to the original original because the original original is a whole another set of circumstances. Okay. But what it, it broke down to is um, um, me, Prince, and his, his, uh, his cousin Charles, my sister Linda, William Dowdy, Terry Jackson, and um, and then you know as you know we did a few gigs, and then uh, we had a couple of issues with some of the band members, and so we had to make some changes. And uh, and I met Morris and got Morris into Morris had been trying to get into the band. He kept telling me uh, that he was Morris really Day. Who we're speaking of, right? <laughs> right, Morris Day. Okay. He kept telling me he's a he's a really good drummer, and he was you know so great. And I tried to explain him. We already got a drummer, even though we were having issues at the time, but, um, but I said, we got a drummer. He's like, well, I'm, I'm better than your drummer. I said, Oh, are you? The? <laughs> he was like, oh, really? yeah, yeah. You got to come hear me play. And he kept sweating me and kept sweating me until, um, so finally, you know, I wound up in, you know, um, cause Morris is a grade ahead of me. I think he's either a year or two years ahead of me. So when I left Lincoln and went to, uh, the old North, um, Morris was already going there and he had full access, access to me then. And so he was just sweating me like, you know, dude, you got to come hear me. Yeah, you got to hear me play. And so he trapped me in the hallway and finally got me to come to his crib. And, uh, and I heard him play. And after I heard him play, I was like, okay, you're in. I got to get you to come and meet the rest of the guys, uh, you know. And uh, so he brought his drums over to, uh, we were, at the time we were rehearsing at Terry Jackson's down in his basement. And I had him bring his drums down there and, uh, um, and had Prince come down and, and Linda and William and uh, had him jam and they saw what I saw and they were like, you know, okay. And then unfortunately Charles came as we were having our little jam session. He was like, uh, what's going on? Oh, he and walked into his replace his, into his uh, demise, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. So that, uh, that was how that one went, but yeah. So, but that was the band and then it became, you know, grand central and it was, you know, then it was me, Morris Prince, my sister Linda, William Dowdy, and Terry Jackson for for a while. Do you, and so you you really were right in the mix of that. Do do you own that? I mean, do do you feel you got enough credit for that, or isn't isn't that what it's about? It's it's not been what it's about. I mean, the thing is, I, I have to uh, 
I have to speak about it now because now that Prince is gone, people are beginning to try to reinvent the wheel. They're telling different stories and they, you know, and, and, and I can't allow that to happen because no, that's just not, not accurate. Yeah. It's just not, you know, cause you know, the thing about it is, is um, the reality is beautiful. You know, I mean, regardless, you know, and, and everybody has their own perspective, but it is what it is. You know, I mean, you know, and there's no reason for anybody to try to, you know, because people have been saying, oh, well, Prince was going to move in with me in my house and, you know, and he was going to do this and they was going to do that. And I started the band and all of this. And and it's just nonsense. It's like, yeah. you know, none, nobody was saying any of this stuff when Prince was alive. Of course. And the reality is I've been saying the same thing. You know, whether I ad nauseum, I stopped doing interviews in, uh, in 1985, I think, and I didn't yeah. start doing it until 2014 when I uh, started making music again. But even back then, because you can, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you can pull up any interview I ever did. I always said the same thing because it is what it is. Because and so, it's you the know, truth? Yeah, because it's the truth. It's, it's easy you know? to remember if it's the truth, right? Yeah. I mean, I got into a thing once I was doing, uh, and it's actually really comical. I got into an, and uh, I did an interview with a guy named Nate Morris um, in Detroit, um, and he had a uh, he had a dance uh, dance show, and I was on there. My record company got me to go and, and promote one of the I think when I was either doing Kelly's Eyes or one of those songs, but I went there to 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 promote it. And as he was interviewing me, he was asking me about you know um, uh, how I started, and I said you know well. You know, I started, you know, a band back in the day, you know, and Prince was in it. He said, Prince? I said, yeah, Prince was in your band? I was like, yeah. And he said, oh, and he like made a joke. He said, oh, Prince was in his band. I was like, yeah. He said, well, who else was in your band? I said, well, my sister was in my band and Morris. Morris? I said, yeah, Morris Day? <laughs> Morris Day? Oh, listen, he says Morris Day was in his band. So Morris Day was, I'm like, Hmm. And I now I'm insulted. Right, of course. <laughs> so I'm like, right, now right, I'm right. like, and so, you know, when you ask about, you know, taking credit, it's like, I don't, it's not about credit, but it just is what it is. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, I brought Morris into our band, period. You know, um, and if any, anybody who knows anything about Prince, especially back then, he was a very quiet individual. He wouldn't, you know, I mean, you couldn't shake, rattle, or roll eight, nine words out of him. If you didn't really know him well. And back then, you know, I mean, obviously, once you become, you know, famous and you have, you know, managers and bodyguards and all that, then you can, you can, you know, um, you can be whatever you want. But back then, there was no managers. There was no yeah, bodyguards. Your kids. Yeah. Your kids. And yeah, and he was just a very, very, um, he was an introvert. He didn't talk to very many people. And he and I had a lot in common. But me, on the other hand, had a big mouth, you know, and I was. <laughs> Wait a minute. You know, Let me I, imagine that. Hold on. Okay, got it. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so, you know, I was very much, you know, into let's do this, let's do that, let's, let's, we got to do it. So I was that guy. So we complimented each other, you know. Um, you brought you know, him along way. for the ride because he, you were the instigator, it sounds like. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite say I brought him along for the ride. That's a, that's a bit of a stretch. But, you know, I think we complimented each other in terms of, you know, me being more outgoing. No, and, I just simply and, meant that as a friendship thing. That's what we do for each other, though. Oh, like, yeah. Come on, no, yeah. man. Let's go. I didn't mean no, it any yeah, other way. No. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. In that context, absolutely. And right. in some ways, literally brought him along for the ride. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, and when I say ride, it's, it's like, you know, uh, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in more ways than one. Is that you right? Know, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I, I was just, uh, you know, I came from, you know, I came from a different, I moved into a community that um, he was already involved in, established in, and I didn't know anybody. Um, I literally was a stranger and in a strange land, yeah. you know, when I first moved from where I came from into that community. Um, and he was the first person that I really kind of got to know. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, he kind of, you know, showed me who was who. Uh, and it was interesting um, to get his breakdown and to, you know, to to get into his mind. Because it was interesting to, you know, because I never had that before to see how somebody else dealt with other young people. I mean, you know, my my, you know, my way of dealing with people back then was very, you know, I'd have to say sort of Cro-Magnum. It's like if somebody said something to me, you hit them, you know, with a blunt object, you know. And he would try to break it down where, no, you don't want to hit him. He's got cousins and he's right. got, you know, he's got about 18 brothers and sisters mm. and you're going to have to hit them too. So, the lay of the like, land from him, huh? So, yeah, he, he kind of broke it down. So, um, but, you know, it was, it was, so it was interesting to get to know uh, things from that standpoint, but. But yeah, no, so we, you know, so I was like, you know, he said he had a cousin, I had a sister and, uh, and uh, I saw William playing. So I brought him in and, and, uh, Terry was our neighbor was, you know, he was li literally lived next door to me. So, um, and he just wanted to, he just wanted to be in the band. Hmm. And, um, so yeah, that's how Grand Central got kind of cobbled together. Then well, let's fast forward a few years because <laughs> we could stay on this subject for three hours, but I want to yeah. talk about you and some other things here, but you were in, obviously, in Prince's band. You were the bass player until what year? Mm -hmm. uh, till 81. 81. Okay. You left. Yeah. Why'd you leave? Uh, for a number of reasons, but mostly because, you know, um, I had said that, because um, I, I never wanted to be in somebody's band. You know, I yeah. just never... You know, I wanted to be in a band. Sure. In fact, I, I thought my dream was to be in like the, the dopest band on the planet. That's what I was always, would always tell people, even before I met Prince, um, anybody who'd listen to me, I'd say, I'm going to be in a band. It's going to be the baddest band. We're going we're gonna to take down the Jackson 5 and I would brag and all this kind of right. stuff. Um, so I always wanted to be in a band. And so, you know, you know Grand Central became that band to a, to a certain extent. Um, but, you know, as things happened, um, Prince wound up getting a record deal. Right. And then he asked me if I would, you know, um, if I would be in his band. And uh, first I said no. Um, and mm -hmm. then he said, well, what if what if we do like a Brothers Johnson kind of thing? And I was like, no, they signed you <laughs> to a solo right. artist deal. Mm -hmm. I said, so it doesn't it wouldn't make sense for me to be, you know. And uh, he said, but you got to be in it. You got to. I said, look, I'll tell you what. I'll be in it. You know, you, you're doing a three album deal. So for three albums. I'm there. I'm behind you. I got your back. You yeah. know, and so that was basically it. And so after the third album, which was uh, Dirty Mind, that was um, that was my uh, that was my exit. Um, that was it. And so yeah, and it was you know I got to tell you it was a blast. For the most part, it was it was absolutely a blast. You left on your terms, and you left, and then you did your own thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I left on, <laughs> yeah, I left on, well, you know, yeah. 
Well, just I left on my terms because I just was like, you know, um, you know, I, for one thing, that's when I said I was going to leave. And for another thing, there was issues with, you know, credit and songs and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was like, you know what, you know, at this point, maybe it's just time for me, you know, to move on. So and, things and, got a little funny and, and it was to time to sort go. of realize your own thing. Yeah, I, I get yeah, it. Things got a little funny. It was time to go. And uh, yeah. Well, I respect you for that, man, you, because, you know, I mean, look, you you guys grew up together and it wasn't exactly what you bargained for. You'd tell them that from the get-go. And uh, then it was time to go. And then you you went out and got your own record deal. Is that is that yeah. how those events unfolded? Pretty much. I mean, I, I, I wound up, uh, you know, because obviously when I left, I had no money. <laughs> Zero dollars. Right. So I was, uh, and I just had a newborn daughter. Oh, um, wow. So yeah, so it was uh, it was rough, um, and so I was like, um, um, but you know, I mean, I luckily supported my family. My brother bought me a four track, um, and I cut a demo, and I literally called. Uh, I looked and was kind of eeny miny mo. I was like, what labels? And I thought, well, Columbia sounds good. So I called him up and I said, listen, I'm Andre Simone. I think uh, I want to get a record deal with you guys. So you know, uh, what do I have to do? And I literally, I. I kid you not. That's what I did. I, you called I said, from the yellow pages and called him on the phone. Called him on the phone. Said I'm Andre Simone and I should have a record deal with you guys. I I looked at Warner Brothers and I thought about this and blah blah blah. And they were like, Are "You really Andre Simone? Andre Simone from?" I said, "Yeah." And uh, you know, they said, "Well, I tell you what, send us a demo tape and uh, you know we'll see. We'll work it out from there." I said, "Okay." So I cut the demo tape, sent it to him, and they was like, "Okay." Well, do you have representation? I said, um, no. And I said, you know what? I said, yeah. So I called Owen. I said, Owen, listen, I got this thing worked out with uh, Columbia. If you got, you know, and so the rest is history. <laughs> Owen, uh, you know, I had connections and, you know, he solidified the situation and got me an attorney and the rest is history. Was that a fun period of time for you creating those records? Did you enjoy that? Did you look back on that? You know, way? or was that because it ain't people think that once you get the record deal, you've made it. That's it. But that ain't the case, as you and I both know. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, it's funny. That's nobody's ever asked me a question like that before. I mean, I've been asked a lot of questions. Yeah, I know. Never that. Was it, you know, I mean, in some ways it was fun, and in some ways it was it was, um, you know, it was a, a kind of a, a bit of a lonely process, which was interesting because, you know, I was, you know, um, Prince and I had always done everything from since we were in seventh grade together. We wrote songs together. We recorded songs together, our first demos and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of went back and forth, you know, with developing our writing skills and all that kind of stuff. So um, when I got a record deal, and I think it was $250,000 or something like that, and and they were like, um, and you know, I'm from the projects, and like two hundred fifty thousand dollars is like that's a lot of money. You know, yeah, I ain't never had to anybody. I, I ain't never smelt any kind of money like that in my life. So I'm like, so my attitude was like, well, um, I can do whatever I want, and as an artist, you know, um, I wanted to create something that nobody had, you know, ever done, and you know, it would have been easy for me. To um, to sort of replicate what was out at the time, 
um, because I guess that's what they probably, I think that's what they expected me to do, which is, which is understandable in, in retrospect, but yep. I just want to be an artist, you know, um, and I looked at things from a very, very different perspective. And so, you know, um, and I was very aware as, you know, as we talked earlier, I mean, you know, I'm from a very musical background. Mm -hmm. And so I was aware of all the different music that was out there. I could have, you know, I played horns. I played, I played everything. I mean, I played drums. I played drums better than I played bass. What? So I played, oh yeah, yeah. Good to know, know, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, you know, um, I only, you know, stopped playing drums when Morris got in the band because Morris was so bad on drums. Yeah. I was like, well, there ain't no need for me. Cause at that point, you know, cause we used to have, you know, we used to have, you know, drum offs and who thought they could play best. Sure. And I was like, you know, couldn't nobody hold a candle as far as I was concerned. Right. May not have been absolutely the case, but you couldn't have told me that I wasn't the baddest drummer in the band at that point. <laughs> I love that kind of confidence. But, that I'm the, I'm the baddest in the land. No, I mean, that was, that was the environment that we would, that we were in. Cause you know, I mean, I had a drum set down in our basement, you know, and, right. um, Cause my, my, um, my cousin was a drummer. He was a drummer in local bands and in, uh, Maurice McKinnis's band and, uh, Midwest Express and bands that were, you know, really, you know, making noise around the city. So I, I had, you know, and he left a little drum set for my, for me and my sister to play. So, you know, but anyway, um, so yeah, I, you know, I just, uh, you know, it just became, you know, um, you know, I just, I could have, I could have created whatever kind of music I wanted. Yep. And I just decided I wanted to be artistic and I wanted to do something that hadn't been done. So I did, you know, the Living in a New Wave album, yeah. which, you know, if you really think about it, you know, I wasn't trying to write a hit, you know, and it was, I was just trying to create something absolutely new. Yeah. And so it was like, I think the timing is like six, eight or something crazy like that. Mm. You know, it's like, you know, there's nothing like it. There still isn't anything like it. Right. And um, I think the songs on that album all represent that same attitude. And, and my focus at then was everything has to be futuristic and, and sort of in that headspace. And, and so the record company was like, um, but we want you to do something more like this. And they cut out the top 10 R&B. Um, and I was like, but I don't want to do anything like that. Why do you want to put a mustache on my Mona Lisa? And so I was like, I was adamant about not wanting to do anything that they wanted me to do. And then I wanted to do rock and roll. Right. Because then I wanted, then I, I wanted, you know. And so finally we, we wound up going back and forth. And, uh, and I just wanted off and they wouldn't let me off. And so, um, you know, and I, I literally went to the, 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 the uh, to New York to the president's office and stood on the table and because I heard that the best way to get off the labels if you go stand on the table and you yell at the president of the company so I went and stood on the table and I yelled at the president of the company and they you know said well that, that was that was good you've got you've got the lungs <laughs> but you're still signed to a contract oh. so so I was like all right well you know what I'm not making any more records so um so I stopped and then I um. So then I got broke again and I was like, okay, well, right. I got to make some money. So mm-hmm. um, maybe I met Jody and I thought, you know what? You know, she's got an amazing voice. Um, uh, let me just work with her. I wrote some songs for her and she liked them. And um, we fooled around and got, you know, a string of hits. And then she won a Grammy Award for Best New Artist. Yeah. And, 
And yeah, and then, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, wrote a bunch of... You there know, became hit, your uh, produ production career. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I started... I, yeah, the production, I think, began with... Um, well, actually, it began with Sue Ann. But then, um, uh -huh. but Evelyn, Champ Evelyn Champagne King, I did a song for her, um, uh, which was... Uh, I think it was called Face to Face, which is the name of her album. Okay. And I did half, and Leon Silvers did the other half. And um, there's a song. Man, that's good on, company. Yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was very cool. We did, I cut it at uh, Sunset Sound, which yeah. is interesting because there was a song on her album called Let's Get Crazy. No. Um, yeah, that, uh, you know, um, that Before I, the uh, other one? Before it was the other, the, similarly? It was, it, was it was before it. But it was at Sunset Sound, and and I think he somehow thought that you know I and and so I'm literally driving down Highway 100, you know, right near 50th and French, you know, near that Denny's. Yeah. This purple BMW, you know, comes honking, you know, and pulls me over. So we pull over to the side of the freeway, and he's like, "I just want you to know, I didn't, you know, I didn't steal your your song. I didn't steal the title. Mine's called Let's Go Crazy, not Let's Get Crazy." I'm like. <laughs> I I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, good seeing you. You know, I don't know what you're talking about, wow. but cool. And then later I heard, let's go crazy. Um, and I was like, oh, oh, now I see what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, man. now I get it. Yeah, because, you know, it, it was it was actually classic because um, we were in the studio and, and Owen was in the studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll never forget this because, and it was the first time Owen had seen Prince in a long time. Cause you know they had split, and you know. Yep. Um, I do and, know. Uh, yeah, and Owen, I think Owen at the time was 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 still managing me. I think I'm not positive. You know, it seems like it would make sense because that's the only reason why I would be at the studio. But um, but I was working on Evelyn Champagne King's album, and uh, we were in the studio, and then Prince came in, and uh, maybe he came in when we were doing Let's Get Crazy. <laughs> I right. don't know. Yeah. But uh, but he came in and and. And he saw Owen and Owen looked and the, the energy was just weird. And oddly enough, Owen's chair just flipped up uh, and Owen fell. And Prince was like, and he walked out of the studio. It was like, it was, like it was just the weirdest thing. And I was like, Sunset Sound, there was a few things at Sunset Sound that was kind of interesting that happened. I have to Ghosts. Say. Yeah, it had some very interesting some things. Yeah, because yeah. um, I mean, they had you know, I don't know if you knew this, but they had um, the masters of Hendrix and a bunch of different folks back then. Because one of the engineers actually played um, the uh, uh, one of Hendrix's masters and soloed. I think it was like Voodoo Child or something like that, and soloed stuff. And I was like, I, I mean, blew me away. Yeah, because it's to to hear that stuff soloed is just amazing. Anyway, yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the Sunset Sound was a great place, man. I loved playing ball there and re and recording there. Yeah, a couple other people that you worked with, uh, Adam Mant. So that actually, because of your mm -hmm. first record, that wasn't too far of a stretch for you. No, no, Adam. Adam was. Uh, <laughs> Adam, I, that was one of my favorite, by far one of my favorite projects to do because, first of all, Adam is extremely talented. Yeah. Um, he's extremely smart, um, you know, on, on every level. Um, 
he's just got instincts that just, you know, blew me, just blew me away. But, you know, um, but yeah, it was, uh, uh, we had the same manager oh. and uh, my, my manager asked me if I was interested in, in, in doing something with Adam Ant. And I was like, yeah. And so, you know, we uh, sat down at, I don't know if you know, uh, Hugo's. Yeah, of is, course. Uh, rest- yeah. Yep. We sat down at Hugo's and uh, had lunch. And I, I swear that the time that I was sitting there, we were just talking because he's got, you know, Andre, listen, we've got to do this. We've got to act just and, gonna act, and the music has got to be, you know. And by the time he got through, I had all the songs rolling around in my head. Matters and Physique, just musically and, and uh, um, Room at the Top. Well, actually, Room at the Top came later, but um, we did a song called Bruce Lee, which is... Uh, we just, we did it. We, we had so much fun. I mean, there were songs that aren't on the actual album, like Bruce Lee, which I mean, is an amazing, amazing, amazing song. We did uh, a cover of, um, of uh, Let It Whip, I think the Daz Band or something like that. Right. Um, we, just, we just had a blast. And, and, the, and the recording the album was just a blast. I mean, just comical, you know, because it's like, I mean, him and Marco, his guitar player, I just were hilarious. I mean, they kept me laughing and yeah. that and the, the, you know, the, the, um, the engineer, the guy whose studio we were working at uh, was a guy named Frank Santacola and his father, or no, Henry Santacola was called Old Henry's. And his father was Frank Santacola who managed Frank Sinatra. Oh. So it was just, uh, it was just, it was just fun. And, and, and uh, Hank was just a, he was an interesting, interesting guy because he was, um, you know, he, he wanted to be, you know, he was always, he wanted to be involved, you know, because we, he and I got along really, really well and, uh, and uh, we hit it off. And so he wanted to be, you know, every time I'd bring a project and he would want to be sort of involved and Adam was, was very much kind of not wanting anybody to really be in his space. Yeah. So it was, a, it was an interesting uh, uh, dynamic, you know, so, yeah. You left the music business for a minute, didn't you? Um, you know, not really. I mean, I, I left, you know, as a, as um, um, as a, I guess, a working artist because I think I was blackballed or something. Um, really? So I really, you know, why would you oh, be yeah, blackballed? Yeah. For what? That's a really good question. You know, I just found out from a lot of different people that you know, man, I heard you were blackballed. And, I felt this, and every time I, I felt the same way, but. We'll talk offline about that, man. <laughs> I, hey, listen, I want to you know, ask you I mean, some questions. Woo, really? I had nothing, no idea, no, man. Nothing, nothing would surprise me because I was trying to do a lot of different things, and um, and it seemed like, you know, things that would that were should have been easy and no brainers, kept being things that seemed to be obstacles for some really bizarre mm. reason. And I can think of a number of reasons why I probably could have because I'm I'm a very you know a brash you know you know, person when it comes to wanting to do things a certain way. And, it, and you know, and, and, and I'm like, look, I'm a hustler. So I'm a, I'm a figure out how to do stuff. And so I, I, I opened a recording studio, ran a recording studio and, and that's basically what I was doing. So I wound up, um, you know, I had people coming in from all over the place recording in my studio. And what I would do is, is for young artists, I would give them free studio time. Um, and a lot of people came through and, you know, um, and got a chance to, you know, get started and get their whole thing jumping off in their yeah. studio. Yeah. I had no idea that you did that, man. That's 
Yeah. That's crazy. You studied uh, screenwriting, didn't you, at uh, in LA? We're going to break away for a second here so I can tell you about a couple really important items. Number one, we have a brand new highlights page on YouTube. We want you to check it out. It's especially made by our intern, Jake Miller, for people who don't have quite enough time to sit through the entire video podcast. It's a great way to catch up on some great tidbits of information from all of our guests. You're going to have to search for it, I'm afraid, just simply because we need more subscribers on there in order for us to get a custom URL. But it's Music on the Run Highlights. You know what else is on there, you guys? A brand new feature that we've been doing strictly on Fridays. It's called Funk Friday. Got to have a little funk for your weekend. We feature great musicians, some former guests, some future guests, and it's a little one to two minute vignette of us jamming and funking out. And it's a great way to kick off your weekend. It's called Funk Fridays every Friday. Check it out. It's on the Music on the Run Highlights Reel. And of course, you'll find it on Facebook and Instagram as well. All right, let's get back to the interview. You studied uh, screenwriting, didn't you, at, uh, in LA? Yeah, I, um, during that period of time, because I've always wanted to make movies. Um, and, you know, ever since I was a kid, one of the things that I loved even more than music was films. Um, and that was like... You know, that was as big, if not a larger passion of mine than music. Hmm. And so, and so I would, I literally studied and studied before I actually finally took the plunge and went to school. Um, and I went to UCLA for, I don't know, maybe two, three years. Uh, and, you know, but took workshops and every other kind of thing and studied from Dove Simmons, which is, you know, a guru in the film, in our film business. Um, I took production workshops and then I, I literally, not only, you know, um, studied, but I also taught at UCLA. So, you know, I, you know, I got no involved kidding. in filmmaking and I, and I, yeah. And I found out that, you know, screenwriting, um, the art of screenwriting is very similar um, to writing songs, except, you know, writing songs to me always, you know, was, was, was uh, uh, an interesting thing because you have to come up with a whole story in like four minutes. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you got to try to tell a story and then, you know, and then you have to repeat that whole, the the, the premise of the story and the hook. Right. And you, you know, you repeat that, you know, two, three, four times or whatever. And so that's the the, the concept. But in music, in music and movies, you get to expand on the theme, whatever your theme is. And I found that it was, it was like, um, it was easy for me. So I've written like 18 screenplays and, and, and uh, you know, just tons and tons of, um, treatments and storylines and on and on and on. Have you had the opportunity to have one of those movies made? You know, I've had the opportunity to have three of them made. And because I'm the way that I am, mm -hmm. I, none of them got made because okay. I didn't want to compromise because I think, you know, the, the art of uh, getting something done is the art of giving somebody else the credit, you know, and, and filmmaking, if you're willing to give somebody else, you know, the credit, for the story, then you get to have your film made or they get to take it and Man, change the it. Entertainment and make it business, brother. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me again, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, it's, it's hard for me to do that. I mean, I, I get it now. And, and so it's a little bit different. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I wrote a thing, uh, um, a film that I wanted, you know, that I was trying to do for, for Jody back in the day. Um, and, uh, it was kind of a gangster film. Um, and it, it wound up getting, you know, parts of it getting, you know, used for somebody else's film. Um, Oh, really? That way. Yeah. Um, and then I did another, another film, uh, that, um, that they wanted Fred Williamson to, um, to star and Fred Williamson is from, you know, a lot of black exploitation. He was a, a football player back in the day, but he came to fame in movies like black Caesar and a lot of black uh, exploitation films. And, um, but he wanted, he was interested in doing this film that I had written. Um, but again, they wanted to change it. And, you know, I, it, you know, you know, I usually come from a very hardcore standpoint and, and, you know, and some, some of the sensibilities to me are what make, you know, stories, you know, um, you know, um, they give them the depth that I think that they deserve. And the first thing people usually want to do is take that depth out and water it down. And I'm like, well, that's a different story. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like music. It's like somebody coming in and saying, well, you can't, why should you make rock and roll? You know, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, I mean, I think Chuck Berry and Lil Richard might have something to say about, you know, <laughs> why, why I should be able to make rock and roll if I want to, right. you know, um, but, you know, but they're saying, well, why can't you just do what, you know, um, you know, what, um, what Prince did or what, you know, Teddy Riley's doing or what mm. Bobby Brown is doing. There are little boxes what, everywhere, you know, aren't there? I don't know. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, I'm like, last I checked, you know, I, I, I can do whatever I want and it, and you know, and, and you don't have to release it. And so they didn't. <laughs> so, wow. And so there you go. Yeah. But I, I think that's cool that you didn't compromise. Yeah, well, no, I'm put, not, I'm not, I'm not good at compromise. I don't, I'm, yeah. I didn't get that chip. I didn't you, stand in that, that line. Didn't, that didn't said, come with the, uh, from the factory. Didn't the come with the factory. Chip. Has no yeah, upgrade no. for that. None. Zero. <laughs> hey, man, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Music All on right. the run is uh, the reason I came up with this is because I wanted to talk to people like you about how they stay in shape on the road or mm -hmm. when they're busy all the time in the studio or whatever the case may be. Dude, you've been skinny as <laughs> and in shape for as long as I can remember. Uh, how do you do that? You know, I'm a I'm a I believe that you should never stop doing what you ever did, you know? Um, and, and I think the first, as soon as you do that, then you start to go on to that other side. And so, um, you know, I still ride bikes. I still play basketball. Mm -hmm. I'm still as active as I ever was. Um, uh, uh, and in fact, I stepped it up for a while. I mean, I have to say during this pandemic, I've been a lot less active as I, as I was, but you know, I would do, I would do uh, um, P90X. Um, oh, no I way. Do, I did that, too. I love that. Yeah, no. Tony. I, I was, come on, Tony. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, Tony, Tony will kick your butt. Man. Yeah. Tony was kicking my butt. He still, I still, you know, I'm taking a, well, you know what? Now I do um, Core to Force, which is a little more lightweight. Um, and 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 because it, it's like, it's not, because Tony is like basically an hour. Um, yeah, it is. But Core to Force is. Quarter, yeah, of hell. Quarter force is uh, is um, like MMA speed is more like twenty seven minutes, thirty minutes, and so it's a little, you know, so that 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 works. 
and you just pop on a video and you, you know, you, you know, either box to it or, but now I'm, I'm getting a little bit more serious into it. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm about to get back into training. Cause I, I literally go into training, you know, like I, I train myself, I, I go into and I take it really serious and I get back into, and I've never really been, um, you know, um, prone to a bad diet, you know, so my diet has always been pretty stable, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what I eat. I mean, um, I, I, I got into, um, God, what was it? Um, for a while, uh, God, what was it? Now I can't even remember. Um, God, it was, uh, there was, um, a diet guru for a while that, uh, I got into. Atkins, thank you. I did that yeah, one. I got into, yeah, yeah, all no, I was meat into, all the time, ladies and gentlemen. Atkins. Yeah. Yeah, no bread, all meat, you know, and you could have basically. So, you know, I mean, I still, you know, once I, I got into that, but then I, I studied what the concept was. And so I, 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 I was able to manage sort of the concept of what the Atkins diet was all about. And so, you know, I mean, so I've, I've just sort of lived in that sort of realm and that, that keeps me pretty fit. Just, just working out. Do you think that that helps your creativity? Probably. I mean, not for me. I mean, because you know, I not you know, I got to tell you. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, creativity is is. You know, I've been I'm blessed because I ne- I never run out of inspiration. I hate you, creativity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, really, I, you know, what is? I mean, you know, I mean, I guess, you know. In in the especially now, especially yeah. with with what's going on, but really throughout my whole life, you know, um, just just as a black man growing up in North Minneapolis, you know, there's so many things that you have to be inspired to or inspired by, whether you want to or not. Um, you know, everything from, you know, I mean, I, I I'd have to start by saying though, you know, I mean, me originally. I never, growing up in the projects, which is an interesting thing, I never thought about race. I never thought about, you know, a differentiality of anything because in that context, everybody was around. And so I just grew up in an environment, you know, in the beginning from zero to, I don't know, maybe about 10, um, where it was just, my world was a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, I, I thought, you know, um, John Wayne and Elvis and, and, and um, you know, uh, Gilligan's Island and all of that kind of stuff. Mel Jazz matinee movie. Mel Jazz. I mean, Jazz, that yeah. was, yeah. Roundhouse Rodney. Uh, um, yep. Captain, uh, what's his name? Captain. Mr. Green. Uh, oh. Captain Kangaroo. Mr. Captain Green Kangaroo. Jeans. Thank you. I was yeah. facing that one. I mean, I was, I was like, all of that stuff was my world, mm. and and then I didn't I, and I didn't realize that anything was 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 amiss, you know, um, until I think really until Kennedy was assassinated and then Martin Luther King was assassinated and then riots began to happen, and then you know and then my family members were affected and then I started to go oh wait, there's this other reality, and then when we moved because we moved into an all-black neighborhood. And then I started looking at the world from a completely different standpoint. Mm. And so then inspiration started to become 
drawn from, you know, different um, channels, you know, some not so, some dark channels, some yeah. different, you know, just, you know, you started to realize that, you know, um, the world was not the way my parents allowed me to exist and, and, and to um, look at it from, you know, they really, I think, went out of their way to try to just, you know, um, give us a very sort of, you know, um, positive perspective. Perfectly segues into what I wanted to talk to you about. You're also um, an, an activist. And, man, we've had some hellacious stuff going on, not only in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. but all over the world, and, and, and for a very long time. How has, let me start out by asking you, how has Minneapolis changed from the time you were growing up to what we're seeing now? You know... Paul, I got to tell you, man, um, it's, you know, it was bad in the 60s, um, you know, just from, from the standpoint of a black perspective. Yeah. Um, but it was better then than it is now, if you can believe that, um, because I think everybody was on the page of fighting for civil rights and fighting for um, upward mobility and fighting for equality and fighting for, um, you know, uh, t- fighting for the right to, to experience the same, you know, um, American dream, the same opportunities as everybody else. You know, granted, obviously, that, you know, um, you know the, you know, um, the cultural control had a 400-year head start, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. from that standpoint, you know, we were trying to, you know, assimilate, catch up, whatever you want to call it. Right. So, you know, but, but Minneapolis changing, I think, um, you know, it used to be full of opportunities, you know. Um, you know, but if you think about that time period, it was, it was such a transformational time period because, you know, you had integration in schools. You know, and so with that integration and the passing of civil rights and having to integrate schools and all that, what you had was, you know, a systematic change was going as those things passed and those those positive things that you saw on the on the surface passed, there was other things going on underneath. So you'd see, okay, yeah, now black people get to vote, which right. is wonderful. Mm-hmm. We get to participate in 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 the systems that control you know, our, li- our lives and our world and, 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 and uh, the um, communities around us if we understand that and if we participate. Um, but, on, but behind the scenes, they were taking away funding for the schools that black people were living in because they took all the white folks, bust them out of those, those schools and out of those communities. And when they, once they bust them out, they systematically started taking the money, the funding from those schools and started shutting down those community centers. Like, you know, all the things that, you know, Prince and myself and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and Morris, all those things that we were able to take advantage of and create music and yeah. create bands and do all that kind of stuff. It's because there were music programs. Right. That's because there were community centers. That's because there was the way and there was the boys club and the YWCA mm-hmm. and the YMCA and all of that. Well, you know, once they, you know, things changed, they started once, you know, uh, it was no longer integrated. And the money that was there, they just took it out. 
and then he took the community centers out. And in in the um, in, in 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 terms of the way, which was one of the main um, community centers that gave us a lot of opportunity. Not only did they take that out, tear it down, but they built a police station in its place. Mm. And um, yeah, and that police station became, you know, where it was was replaced the community center, which completely changed that dynamic. Yeah, which turned that community, that vibrant community, which is the community that we came from. They ch- turned that vibrant community into basically a police community because now, you know, the police were there and they, you know, they, you know, all of a sudden before then, you know, the biggest thing you had to worry about was maybe, you know, this brother over here who sold a little bit of weed. Right. All of a sudden, once the police moved in, now there was like cocaine, there was like crack, there was like all these, there was guns everywhere. That didn't exist before that police station got put there. So, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy wow. conspiracy theorist, but all I know is that dynamic change. And then, you know, where, where the, the, the McDonald's used to be, okay. where everybody used to hang out, um, across the street from there, they built a funeral home. <laughs> and, so, and so that vibrant community went from police and funeral, you know, or from community center and bands and festivals right. to police and, and funeral. So that was gone. You know, music programs gone. The art programs in the schools, you know, got, you know, shrank, you know, and the funding that went to those programs now was going to the police departments. And, you know, so they get to have the tanks and the, you know, and the same kind of weaponry that they have, you know, in Desert Storm and wherever else. So, I mean, it's just, it's just sad. And I think at this point, what needs to happen, you know, because if you really scrape away, you know, read the reality, you know, and you talk about what black folks are are actually doing. And I think Doc Rivers said it the other day perfectly. You know, um, black people are now the hunted, you know, and, and, and they're hunted by police. And people are basically, the hunters are crying fear, you know, when black people are the ones being hunted. You know, it's not like black people are going into communities and shooting white folks and, you know, doing anything. You, you know, the thing about black people that people don't seem to understand is if you leave them alone and give them an opportunity, give them a, a sense of pride, give them equal opportunity, a job and, and the pride to be able to feed their family. They ain't got no beef. Right. <laughs> and, and if you go back again, like I was talking about the 60s, you go back then because that's all they wanted. But what happened is they made it so that, you know, programs that you could move into a black community, um, you, you could move in and you could get, you know, $300, $400 apartment or duplex, yep. but you couldn't be married. You had to have kids, but you couldn't be married, what? which means you can't have a husband. Yeah, no, these were, this is how they created the black community, you know? And so you couldn't, you had to be a single woman and they would give women jobs, but they wouldn't give men jobs. So it was like, and this was a this was a program that was designed specifically to break up the black family unit, to break up that, you know, and it was successful. And so now, fast forward, you know, and people say, well, how come, you know, all these, there's no, you know, no men in the home. This is by design, you know, and this is not a conspiracy theory. Mm. It is what happened. And so now we're having to, you know, deal with the repercussions of that reality. 
Wow. And so, you know, so, you know, when I think about how the community that I grew up in has changed, that's exactly how it's changed. You know, it's just programs have been implemented to entice people to, um, to, to adhere to a cultural um, disadvantage that they just didn't even realize that they were signing up to until it was too late. Right. You know, because when you think about, you know, and, and I look at it like this. I think um, when somebody has, an, uh, you know, um, a 400-year head start and they get to basically sort of, you know, that's a 400-year head start on, on education. Mm. That's a 400-year start on um, economical, you know, wealth building. That's econo- uh, social, you know, homes. Yep. You know, that's a head start on, on everything. And so, and not only are, are, is, is all of that, you know, a reality, but it's also, then they get to set the table for everybody else. So, and so when you finally get a seat at the table, you know, you get a seat at the table, but your meal is tainted, you know, yeah. and you, 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 you don't get to, you don't, you don't get to enjoy the buffet because that's right. not, that's not on the menu and you don't, you know, and so now, and what's beautiful now, which I think I have to say is, is is that I think a lot of people are recognizing how unfair it's been. Yeah. You know, and I'm not just talking about black people. I'm talking about white people. Everybody across the board are yeah. recognizing. That's why the beauty of, of, of what's been going on, you know, um, in these riots and, and the revolution is that it's not just black people. It's just not Black Lives Matter. It's everybody is saying Black Lives Matter and saying, you know what? This whole reality of police brutality and, and, and inequality and systemic racism. You know, it's not been, you know, people have been think, saying that, oh, black people are just tripping. You know, now they're realizing, no, black people haven't been, aren't, haven't been tripping. Right. It is what it is. And now we all have to deal with it. Yeah, the reality because, of it is just... You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's like people no acting mean. like it wasn't going to come with a price tag. You know, you know oppression in and of itself is always going to come with a price tag, yeah. you know, and it's just how big a price tag it's going to be is going to be, is going to depend on, you know, people deciding, you know, and people of good conscience yep. deciding that they're going to get involved in stopping this travesty, you know, because what's going on, you know, is really, it, it's, you know, when you really break it down, you know, to, to really understand what's going on, underneath again it's a it's another you know hey look over here but don't look at what's you know you know look over here but don't look what's really going down look up and you can't see what's going down is how right. it goes yeah yeah, yeah. it's like you know and i think you know it's it's happening again you know where they they they're waving this shiny object but they don't want you to see that again they're privatizing schools yep and so it's becoming more segregated than even in the 60s now it's it's worse and, you know, they're, they're, they're closing down the post office, which is one of the main reasons why certain folks actually get jobs that they can feed their families. They're trying to privatize that. And mm-hmm. once that's privatized, then they are not, you know, um, they don't have to adhere to, you know, rules, you know, that apply from, from a government entity. So that means that they can discriminate. And they're, you know, and obviously, you know, judges, if you can get judges that will go along with a program, to solidify laws that make it legal to discriminate, which right. is, which is around the corner. Yep. <laughs> then, then now, so now you've got, 
you know, you're, you're subject to somebody's um, whim if they want to hire you or not. And they can decide who they want to hire and who they don't want to hire, who they want in their workplace and what they look like, you know, or not. Right. You know, so so what, what you create is the atmosphere of, you know, zero opportunity, <laughs> you know, and you know about the music business. I mean, it just goes, it, you know, it goes on and on yeah. to the point where opportunities have shrank to the point of, of hopelessness. You know, of, of hopelessness. And when you get hopelessness, you're going to get desperation. Mm. When you get desperation, you're going to get crime. Yep. And, you know, and, and it's going to get ugly if we don't really stand up. And that's why, that's one of the main reasons why I'm speaking out and doing the things that I can try to do and try to give voice to and try to, you know, um, get people who understand, who, who want to see a world that's not going in the direction that it's going in. And I think that it's important, you know, to use your platform, to use my platform, yeah. to, you know, you're seeing the NBA finally, you know, standing yes. up and saying, we're not, you know, we have a platform and we're all in this world together. And, right. and I think people, people of good conscience have to ask themselves, what kind of world do you want to live in? Right. It's a simple question. What kind of world do you want your children and your children's children? To exactly. Live in? Yeah. And we don't want to leave this a mess for them. We want to set the yeah. example. And yeah. I don't think we're doing a very good job right now. No, no we're so, not. And, uh, I, I do want to ask you this because it, 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 and it's difficult. And we got to have these difficult conversations because that's how we grow. And that's how we I'm, get through this. But in your opinion, how can white people be better advocates for the black community or people of color, uh, which yeah. I don't love that term. And, and But yeah. how, how can we be better advocates? Yeah, we don't know you, sometimes. Yeah, no. It is sad that you that we have to even, you know, go into the people of color I know, and go right? into that, you know. Um, but it is what it is. And, and you know, I guess the, the way to be a better advocate is to, first of all, recognize that there has been a 400 year head start and to recognize what, you know, um, other cultures, you know, in my particular case, what black culture has had to endure through history. Now, I mean, it's ugly. It is, it's, you know, slavery. I don't like to get into to, to history and slavery and all that kind of stuff, but you have to, you know, but we're at a point now where we have to deal with it. Yeah. We have to deal with the fact that black people used to get hung Black people were, were, were not allowed to, to be able to, you know, um, vote. Um, they used to, you know, parade us out at state fairs and throw things at babies, you know, as entertainment. At little black babies, they would throw, you know, hit the black baby in the forehead. You know, it's like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's insane. Man. It really is. But this happened. And so it's I think the first thing, yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's unbelievable. The first thing you have to do is, and you hate, you hate to have to even go there because we've, I, th I thought we had, you know, we had gone past that and we, I thought we'd be able to move on. But because of the state that we're in and the politics that we're in right now, it's bringing back all of these old, you know, um, realities that we're having to readdress. And whether we like it or not, we have to deal with it. And so now that's where we're at. So, you know, I mean, what 
can, can, can white people do is they can get involved. You know, they can, they can understand, really understand what black people have gone through, you know, just education wise. Why, you know, understand why is it, why is it that, you know, black people feel the way that they do? Why are they so frustrated? You know, they think that black people are angry. Black people aren't angry, but they've just tried to, to assimilate and to find the love, I guess, that, you know, that, you know, that they thought that they could get if they assimilated and did all the right things, Mm -hmm. you know, and you do all the right things and still you're not, you don't get a seat at the table. Right. If you do get a seat at the table, like I said, you know, you, 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 you can sit at the table, but you can't go over there at the buffet. You can't go to the bar, you know, you got a different menu. You got a different menu. Exactly. And your menu is tainted. So, you know, (laughs) right. So, I mean, I think, if you look at it, but, but the thing is, if you look at it from that standpoint, then you start to understand what the plight of a black man is and why they're coming from the place that they're coming from. And once you understand something, then you know what you need to do. Then it's up to you, whether you're, you, you're a person of good conscience, good faith, right. and who you believe in as, as, you know, your guiding force is going to, you know, guide you to do the right thing. Right. You know? Because I think part of that is the problem is that, you know, people think, you know, people always say, you know, black, black people tear up their own community when they riot and all that other kind of stuff. And how could they do that? And, you know, and, you know, and, 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 but again, when you step back and you think about it from a black perspective, the black community is only the community that was, that you were forced to live into because there was a red lining and all right. the other kind of stuff. Right. And so y- there's never anything new in a black community. There's never anything, anything built for you. you it's like hand-me-downs. A hand-me-down building here is what you get to put this in. A hand-me-down building there is what you get to put that in. Everything is like second-class citizen, you know, and you're lucky if you had, you know, maybe something built for you in your community. Lucky. Hmm. You know, so that's what you're working from. Nothing is ever for you. It's something given to you, you know, and, and, the, and, and, and when you step back and you think, wait a second, black people contribute. <laughs> on every level, right. you know, they pay taxes, you know, you got, you know, some of the most high, highest paid athletes on the planet, you know, that are given, you know, money in the communities all over the place, you know, and not to mention, you know, um, blacks contributing to our life, you know, air conditioning, air conditioners invented by blacks, right. heart surgery invented by blacks, rock and roll, you know, um, jazz, blues, yep. you know, yep. I mean, funk. You know, yep. you name it, the banjo, peanut butter, lawnmower, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, what more, right. you know, can you, you know, can you ask a, a culture to contribute, especially a culture that was brought, you know, here against their will and had to assimilate and, and came and, and, and made it a, a, a contribution. So, you know, I, you know, again, you know, I mean, what white folks can do is just understand the plight of black folks and say, you know what? you know, we can no longer stand, you know, and that's what brave people do. They say, you know what, because people that aren't afraid to compete, you know, because it should be about the content of your character, not the color of your skin. It should be about the content of somebody's character. And so, you know, you're a bad motherfucker on every instrument, period. You know, you either are or you ain't. Yeah. And I think (laughs) I'm a bad motherfucker on every, and guess what? We exist, you know, yes. you've been in a band, I've been in a band, you make music, I make music, right. you know, and we've been in a band together. And we so, have. you know, if, if we could be an example 
of how people coexist without threat. I'm not threatened by you, and I'm sure you're not threatened by me. Right. Who gives this shit? Right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, in fact, I come and you know, if if I'm anywhere you're playing, I'm coming to your gig. And if and I'm anywhere playing, I hope you know, yeah. Yes, yeah. And so, you know, so but that's what it should be on a on a on on a microcosmic level. That's what it should be about. I think that the musical community, in my opinion, has done an exceptional job of what you just described. If we could somehow show that to the world and they picked up on how we've always acted naturally. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it would be incredible. I, of course, you know that I've made my living off of black music. I, I know that. Mm-hmm. You know that. I respect mm-hmm. that like crazy. My entire family has. I mean, we, we genuinely love black music, the culture, everything, because we feel it so deeply and it's just, we're passionate about it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's 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 an unsaid thing, and maybe it's got to become a said thing. I've never ha- explained that before, mm-hmm. you know. And it's maybe time to explain things like that, the respect level, and yeah, giving credit where credit is due. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I always respected about the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, right? Because they always gave credit to the people that they, they um, sure did. Yeah, I, I do. mean. Yeah, and still do, you know, I mean, and, and that means a lot, you know, it really does. And, you know, obviously they're from, they're from London, they're from uh, England, yep. you know, but, you know, but they give credit to where credit is due. Right. And I think it's important, but, but, you know, I, again, you know, when you, when you use us, you, me, Prince, yep. anybody from, from Minneapolis as, as sort of an example, it's like, you know, you were involved in a group Prince put, they put together. Yeah, you know, which is a beautiful thing, you know. Prince got his record deal from Owen Husney, white guy, Jewish. Yeah, you know that's how you know you can you can you can say that he yeah he would have made it without with or what, but that's not the point. That's Owen, not the story either. That's not the story either. Owen did what he had to do. That's why I always give Owen a lot of credit mm-hmm. because you know I mean Owens is the one who put us on, and as far as that's concerned, right? You know and. You know, and, you know, it's up to us to do whatever music we do and take it wherever we take it. But again, you know, if you use that as an example, that's people coming from different places, different experiences, different backgrounds, coming for a common goal, and that's helping each other out. You know, yeah, you get compensated. Yeah, you get money. Yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever, whatever. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, you get to live your dream. Yep. I get to live my dream. Yep. Everybody gets to realize their American dream, whatever it is. Yeah. And that's what it should be all about. Of course. Yeah. That's so. way too logical. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to switch. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say thank you for sharing your perspective and always using your art to educate. Uh, I mean, just go look at Andre's catalog. He's got so many different songs about what's going on on, on the streets and what's happening and in, in in people's lives and in the news. We don't have time to talk about it now. I want to switch gears though, but please mm-hmm. go check his stuff out. We have some fan questions for you real quick. Mm-hmm. Miles Matisse says, when is your return to funk record coming out? You know, Miles, I am done with it. Oddly enough, um, I'm finished. I was, I was, um, I was going to release it uh, over the summer. I, actually, I wanted to release it on my birthday, June 27th. But the pandemic happened and, you know, and, and because it's such a, you know, I wanted to get away from 
all the heaviness that I had been into, you know, with Black Man in America and Black Lives Matter and all the stuff that was on that last album. Um, I wanted to get into a more, I went back to my roots, you know, on this funk thing, because I've never done a funk album for myself. Mm. You know, I've always, I did the experimental stuff, space, yeah. you know, new wave and all that kind of stuff. But I did it for other people, but I never did it for myself. So this is the first time that I was doing a funk album for myself. Right. And it's funky, but it's, but it's, it's, um, it's not, you know, it's, it's about, you know, um, just everyday subject matter. It's not about anything heavy. Right. And because we're in the climate we're in, it just seems like it's not quite appropriate to release it right now because, you know, I'm, I'm in the midst of writing some heavy stuff even mm. now. You know, yeah. there's a couple of things that I'm doing and I want to try to pull some folks together, you know, from, from our musical community and see if I can do a thing with everybody all together because I think we should make a, a statement, you know, um, with what's going on in Minneapolis, I think we should make a statement just as a collective, you know, um, musical, uh, you know, um, you know, force. Yeah. Because everybody's, you know, just like we're having this here, this this podcast and, and talking, it's like, you know, it's a conversation we need to have, but we need to have it musically. And True. so I've I've written something that I, I really want to uh, bring a lot of folks in and, and, and really kind of, you know, try to make a statement because I think it's important to do that. And it's, there's anything that Peterson know, family can do, I'm volunteering everybody. <laughs> <laughs> You got it like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah, definitely. You know yeah. what? Everybody it's, it's, it's called all hands on deck. So, um, yeah. So. Got one more question for you. Audrey Johnson says, are you mentoring any young musicians? If so, what's their specialty and what level of support are you able to offer them? You know, you know, I used to mentor I used to try to mentor, you know, uh, young, young folks. Um, I still have a hard time getting past the fact that, you know, I'm on the other side of young folks, <laughs> you know, but, but you can, but you can probably relate to this because when you're the youngest, yeah, you know, it's, you it's always something think that's, you're the youngest. Yeah. You always, it, you, you kind of keep that sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, um, but, you know, I find it difficult to, to mentor um, young folks because, you know, I, because I, because I, I, I empathize, sympathize, and all that stuff with where they're coming from, with their energy and their, their, um, you know, their, their need to want to do things a certain kind of way, and then they get it, they get caught up on that whole, you know, um, you know, this way is how you did, you did it in your day and my day, and oh, you yeah. know, and the reality is, it's not a my day your day thing. It's either right or wrong, you know, and and so yeah. I can't get. It's hard for me to get caught up in that because. It's not a, you know, it's like, you know, I, I came up with a concept a long time ago called strip. You take away everything, what's important, you know? Yeah. Um, and so based on that concept, you know, nothing, you know, everything is man-made, you know? So it's like, you know, you know, there is no, this whole trying to create this, oh, my day, your day thing. No, it's just a state of mind, you mm-hmm. know? It's just whatever your state of mind is. If you can get into a state of mind of, you know, what this teenager might be into or what this older folk, older person might be into. That's a state of mind, yeah. you know? And so anyway, um, so it's hard sometimes to wrestle with that conversation with younger folks that, you know, and, and I try to go there and I try to get them to understand, you know, but sometimes 
they want to do what they want to do. And, 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 and I'm the biggest advocate for do what you want to do. Yeah. You know, but if you're coming to me, I'm going to say you should probably do this, 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 and this if you want to get that. Right. And I'm only speaking because I've been down that road. I've, I've, I've been involved in a lot of successful situations and I've seen how people do the right thing. Yeah. And I've seen how people do the wrong thing, right. you know, and so now I get it. It's not rocket science. It's really kind of, you know, pretty simple. We were in a band together called the Mighty Soulmates and actually, <laughs> back in the <laughs> mid nineties and we never put the record out and the record is actually, is it, do you even know if it's released yet? I'm a little in the dark on this one. Yeah, no, um, no, it's supposed to be released. I'm not, you know, actually I'm a little bit in the dark as well. I know it's supposed to be released, um, God, you know, I think uh, either Mick or Gardner sent me the release day. Um, but there's been so we much got, stuff going on. We yeah. got that to look yeah. forward to, man. I mean, I look yeah. back at that time so with uh, so fun. It was such it was a great fun. period of time, yeah. man. And hanging with you and fun. getting to know you and yeah. making music with you. And it was really, wait till you see the cover art, man. My long blonde hair down to here. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, and, and it was cool because I mean, I was so laid back, way more laid back than I normally am. But you know, I mean, you know, that was at a point we did that at a point where I was happy to take a back seat because I was like, you know, I was coming off of all kind of hit records, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, and and to be in a group where I didn't have to, you know, be the in guy. charge of everything. Yeah, yeah, I could just be like, you know. That was a, that was beautiful for me. I'm yeah. like, hey, you know, and 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 to let Mick or you or Gardner just sort of, you know, run what y'all was doing, you know, uh, what would, uh, was it Ball of Confusion? Yeah. Oh man, that was a blast. That was um, so cool. Tidy a Rocket was a blast. What? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so that's Mick Murphy they, from the system. Gardner Cole was signed to Warner Brothers and wrote a lot of hit records for Madonna, mm-hmm. you and me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's coming up. So what's next for you? I'm going to wrap it up. I just want to find out where, what's next for you and where can people find out information about you? Well, what's next is tomorrow. Um, well, I'm not sure when this is airing, but... Uh, Air um, September 8th, so you already did it. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, you were great, in that by case. the way. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us about it, though. Uh, the State Fair, um, uh, which is... Uh, um, uh, is coming up. Um, uh, let's see. You know, really, what I'm doing right now is I'm just I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna release um, a succession of songs, um, just you know, random. You know, because I think that you know I want to put statements out into the world about what's going on, and so I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna try to accompany those with really um, dynamic visuals. Um, but I'm also working on, um, I don't know if you're aware, but I, I, I do for the last, I think, three or four voting cycles, I've done a song called Vote to get out the vote. Yep. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to put together an even larger um, uh, um, you know, push for that this time and really try to get folks out to, to, to get involved in the voting process. So, you know, I'm working on the song, working on the music and... And uh, I'm going to work on the visuals and, and really kind of get that out. So that's what I'm working on right now. So you're do you, uh, you're on social media. Mm-hmm. Do you have a website or anything that we can put up there for yep. them? Okay. Andre Simone dot dot com. That's one. Okay. Um, and then uh, then Andre Simone 
com is where the website is and you know and some of I'm, I'm in the in the in the process of consolidating all my um uh presence my web presence my social media presence uh to um so that it's easier to access and you you know that it's all coming from me because you know the thing is you find you know a lot of people just decide oh they're gonna you know you know do some sort of an offshoot. So I got a lot of people with a lot of stuff. So I'm trying to mm. shut all of those, you know, shut those down and, and just, you know, make it so that people can, you know, it's easier to access the, the things that I'm getting involved in because, you know, cause then I like that t-shirt you got on, man. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Marcus Miller. He was, he was missing in that, uh, that thing we did that, that, uh, I know uh, web, that <laughs> webinar we did. I just watched another one today that had, uh, so many people that were talking about the evolution of the five and six string bass. So Jimmy Haslip was on there. Anthony Jackson, Ron <laughs> yeah. Carter was in there. Of course, Victor Wooten oh, and Steve Bailey. Yeah. There must've been 25 bass players in it that I watched right before yeah. uh, we, we started doing our taping, but it was yeah. amazing to do that, that webinar for Berkeley with you. And I'm glad you yeah. said yes, man. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, I know that. And thanks for, for, for inviting me. That was, that was really cool. Andre, man, I got to tell you, it is such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for saying yes. And it's good to reconnect with you, man. And we got to yeah, do yeah. more of this and we gotta do ho- more. hopefully play some music in this uh, this century together. <laughs> that's what we're going to do. No, that's what we got to do. We got to get together and, and get, uh, get some music out there. I'd love to do that. Andre Simone, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. That's it, thank man. You, that's episode 21 of Music on the Run with Andre Simone. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Ivan Sebastianov. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, give credit where credit is due.